to Blue360 Media. It currently is the largest provider of legal information to law enforcement in the United States right now. What does that mean, easy access? Yeah, the quota thing is really interesting because it's a it's that's blown way out of proportion. Most places don't have quotas. Oh, well, this law says you get off free. I mean, that's a it, movie. I could totally yeah, see yeah. that. <laughs> I thought the law was, oh, I guess it changed. Whoa, yeah. yeah. That's where you hire Nicolas Cage to go in and steal. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. Well, John, you're really like the curator of laws. So a lot of inmates purchase our products. They want to know like, hey, uh, I don't think my attorney did a good job or yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I think there's some fi something fishy going on. Yeah. Yeah, I have three friends who are officers and all three of them have been hit hard. Well, those are terrible mm. odds. Well, that's more common than you think. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it happens all the time. Catastrophe after catastrophe. That's a hard word to say too. Catastrophe. catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. Laws are weird, right? Lo and behold, you cannot transport livestock in the trunk of your car. What about bison? I've seen people try in Yellowstone to, or even maybe Antelope Island, <laughs> put a baby bison in their car. <laughs> to get it back to mom? To get it back to mom. Ah. Uh, and then that never ends well for people or the bison. It's illegal for first cousins to marry unless they are over the age of 65 and or can prove that they are no longer capable of reproducing. So you're cousin. saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> you can't ring it when you're on a trail. That's a law. Oh, really? Oh, you're not yeah. supposed to. If you're on a mountain trail, you cannot, you cannot ring, ring your bell or oh horn. Goal! Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. Saving lives. By promoting safety and health through education, services, and products, this, this is Utah Safety Podcast. Speaking up for safety. Well, we just kind of naturally roll into this thing. I am John Wojcikowski with the Utah Safety Council, the president of the Utah Safety Council. We are here in Park City uh, in a lobby of a very nice building uh, between Jeremy Ranch's Jeremy Ranch exit and the uh, uh, Kimball Junction exit. We're seated here with uh, Michael Stone, who's a traffic safety manager, program manager at the Utah Safety Council. Uh, Brandon Long, who is the uh, Utah Safety Council's podcast producer extraordinaire. Yay. <laughs> but we're here at the guest of honor tonight, at, uh, tonight, today, this uh, afternoon, early afternoon uh, for Utah Safety Council Speaking Up on Safety podcast brought to you by the Utah Labor Commission, uh, specifically Chris Hill, who's the general counsel and board member, uh, past president of the, uh, the board of directors for the Utah Safety Council. We're here with John Tingey. Did I say that right, John? Did I say John right? I know. You I got the John right? <laughs> Tingy. Tingy. Tingy's perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the right way to pronounce it. And that's, I would respond to anything. There are a lot of us in Utah. Tingy's a, a fairly Utah name. Uh, outside of Utah, it's not as common. So most of us are related somewhere down the line. Hence, for those at home who can't see, I have blonde hair. It's a very... Uh, <laughs> Is yeah. that how you ended up in Utah? Because I know uh, you're a graduate or you attended University of New Mexico <laughs> I did. back in the early 2000s. So uh, maybe tell us your life story in uh, five minutes from the University of Mexico 2002 to uh, where are we at now? 2023, yeah. right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, you're starting to age me. That's a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, I was born and raised right here in Utah, uh, Salt Lake City. So I went to high school in Salt Lake. I went to the University of Utah for undergrad. And University of New Mexico had a program um, for Latin American studies. And I was super interested in what everything that was going on south of the border. So I, you know, I'd, I had worked in Peru. I had spent some time in Argentina. The, the language came pretty naturally. And so uh, I went to New Mexico to study Latin American political economy, why, how people make decisions and why, uh, especially on the, on the political end. And the economic end. And lo and behold, half those classes were held in the business building. And they said, all my classmates were like, well, we're doing our MBA. We have no idea what you're doing. And I said, well, what's an MBA? And they said, hey, what's this really cool program where you graduate and you're going to make a lot of money? <laughs> and so I said, great. Uh, how do I be an MBA student? And so I applied and took a test. And so I did an MBA at the same time in New Mexico. And 
uh, went from New Mexico, uh, got a job in Las Vegas working for Pulte Homes. And at the time, this was 2004, Las Vegas was just going crazy. So home building was nuts. I remember going to an open house for a home builder. They were just releasing a new neighborhood. And I showed up and said, hey, I'd like to, re- you know, I want to walk through. I'm interested in buying a new home. They said, oh, no, no, you can't come here. You got to go down to the casino and you have to go to the ballroom and get a number. And it was a waiting line out the door to get a number to even qual- to even have a permit or not a permit, but a, an application to, to buy a house in Las Vegas at the <laughs> wow. time. So wow. the whole thing was, was wild. And so we lived through the, the ups and downs of Las Vegas. Um, I moved here into Park City in 2012 to start a, a financial firm uh, with the, with a gentleman who, who had been here for a while. So we opened a registered investment advisor, which is uh, we, we targeted kind of high net worth individuals, which there are, you know, one or two around Park City and uh, did quite well. facetious. He's yeah, being did, facetious. Did quite well. There's so many up here. Uh, there are a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lo and behold, one day uh, we got a knock on the door and someone said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in, in starting a business. I need some money. I have no idea how to raise money. And, uh, but I have a really interesting business plan. And it happened to be purchasing the uh, law enforcement publication assets from LexisNexis. So LexisNexis is a very large, multi-billion dollar legal publisher here in the United States. They had a line of products that were targeted towards law enforcement. And we looked at that and I said, you know, I don't know that I could recommend that to my clients because I don't know anything about books. Hmm. And do people even still read books? Uh, and so we, we talked for a long time and I got to know this, this woman named Susan Hancock very well. And she said, no, you're not really understanding what, what we're, what we're trying to do. Let, let's talk a little more. And we became friends. She said, what, what about you helping me operate this thing? What about being an operator? And I, you know, said, Hey, let's, you know, if there's any time to do something different and exciting, this is it. So I jumped ship, came and started blue 360 media. So Blue 360 Media currently is the largest provider of legal information to law enforcement in the United States right now. So we publish the criminal and traffic codes across the country uh, that change constantly and uh, for cops, mostly for cops, some small law attorneys. I mean, that's a natural progression from a Spanish language yeah. instructor. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, very natural, yeah. But you're the, so you're the chief operations officer, part owner, it sounds like a Blue yep. Blue 360 Media, uh, you published uh, the criminal and traffic code books for how many states in the country, you would say? So 48 jurisdictions. So that, that's 47 states plus the Virgin Islands. To include Utah's, right? Utah, that's right. Maybe uh, explain, because uh, I've only heard uh, uh, various versions, uh, you know, how the Utah Safety Council and Blue 360 Media, how we do business together. Yeah, that's a really interesting story, and uh, we're going to tell the, the, the version that makes us all look really good. So <laughs> in probably early 2000s, when LexisNexis still owned this business, the, the sales, they had a very small team of sales agents selling these products, and, and the way they sold them was to sell bulk product to, to a single organization and then, and then kind of rely on that organization to distribute the books. So um, there was a group in Colorado, uh, they did it in, in Florida, several states, and in Utah, they partnered with the Utah Safety Council. So back in the day, the Utah Safety Council, used, I believe, used to buy between ten and 13,000 copies of, of the Utah Criminal and Traffic Code book but then it was on you guys to sell it. It was, yep, it was. So you had to warehouse it. Uh, you, you had all those contacts. Um, when we took over, that's uh, not a great business model for us because you're getting a pretty good deal on those books uh, and you owned the customer lists. And so we, we renegotiated, came on board and said, look, there's, I, bet, I think there's a better way to do this where we can all benefit. So uh, in 2000 and probably 17, I believe, 
we made that proposal, struck struck up a contract, and and have been more working this way ever since. Where we partner, um, you guys help us with some advertising, with you know getting the word out for those kind of old timer customers who still think they need to they get it from you. I think you forward those on to us, um, and we're happy to promote Utah Safety Council. Your logos on the cover. There's some little information inside the book about you. Um, I think it's a great great partnership. Yeah, we get calls uh, a lot from uh, the state. You know, I got a call from the uh, uh, the state of Utah. They have an insurance fraud division, and they're looking for the book. And uh, oftentimes, you know, you'll give us uh, several copies for free. And, you know, like, uh, you know, your typical code book dealer, we'll give them the first one for free, and then we'll send them your way, right. you know, for the multiple, multiple copies that they need. So the the business arrangement you have with the Utah Safety Council is different. You know, how does it work across the country with uh, – you know, dealing with the states and the jurisdictions. And it sounds like it can be a complicated uh, business thing to do. Yeah, typically we're very aware. So so our, our, our main customer is state police. So when you think of a state police, that's, that's typically the, the chiefs of police, uh, not the sheriffs, you know, that's highway patrol. So some places, those organizations are five people. Some places, those organizations are 5,000. And so who you're selling to differs based on where they are. So Los Angeles Police Department, for example, has a whole procurement division. They have a, a budget that they send out every year that we review, see how much money do you have, make sure we weren't cut out of that budget, and sell directly to the procurement department. The five-person agency is the chief of police making those decisions. So Park City, for example, they have about 18 full-time officers. Uh, they, their chief, Wade Carpenter, does purchasing on a lot of that for them. So, so it just depends. Um, what's unique about an org, uh, a relationship like Utah Safety Council is, you know, we, write, uh, we do this in New York with the New York Chiefs, for example. It's, you know, they advertise, we're on their website. You know, we, if they have a dinner that we sponsor, you know, they promote us. And then they get a royalty uh, based on the number of sales. So if, you know, between 10 and 15% royalty back to these organizations that we support. So it's supporting you, supporting different chiefs organizations. We rattled off the name of the Park City Chief of Police pretty quick. I, I'm going to assume that you have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the uh, uh, state police leaders across the country. Is there a jurisdiction you love and are there ones that you hate that you won't mention, but you know, still <laughs> difficult to work with. What are the challenges, I guess, is what I'm really asking, you know, working with, uh, you know, the different police organizations across the country. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, loyalty is a big, a big deal for, for law enforcement. And I think if you can remain loyal and you can kind of prove that you have their back, that's what they're looking for. So we really, what we want to do is provide information. So we're an information provider. We're agnostic as to how they use it, but we want to make sure they have the correct information and it's timely. So there are organizations where, you know, they, they're budget constrained. There are organizations that will, we won't mention where, uh, but they've lost certification because of their, you know, maybe the sheriff was doing stuff he wasn't supposed to in, you know, somewhere in the Southwest. And cool. Um, those organizations a little bit trickier because, you know, how are they using the product? Is it in the best interest of, of, of the organization? In, in, in reality, we don't have a lot of bad experiences with, with law enforcement. You know, they, their job's hard enough. And so anything we can do to make it easier and, and get them, you know, man, that good information, like, hey, this is because that book is full of what they do every day. Those are the laws they have to enforce. So I would say, you know, if you're asking challenges, challenges really are helping people understand that this information is important. So if you think about your, your typical, you, you know, law enforcement officer in his cruiser, he pulls someone over, she pulls someone over. Nine times out of 10, they know exactly what to do. They do it all day long. It's easy for them. That one time, though, man, they need, some, they need a reference. So a great example is what happens when you land an airplane on the freeway? Believe it or not, that's in the book. So if you, is, you know, do you 
do you, do you arrest the guy? Like, do you give him a high five? Like, what do you do? <laughs> and so most of the time, and typically they'll have to call back to this, to the station and they call the, you know, the district attorney is like, Hey, I don't, what, what in the world do we do? Mm. So having that reference and it's available, you know, on your, on your phone as well, having that reference is pretty invaluable. Well, you know, I pulled this off of your website, uh, you know, your mission or one of the things that you really pride yourself at uh, Blue 360 Media, supporting law enforcement by providing easy access to the latest laws, rules, and regulations. So you mentioned, uh, you know, access on the phone, but what does that mean, easy access? I mean, we're looking at a four and a half inch code book here <laughs> is, uh, uh, you know, in the six years that Blue 360 Media has been in business. I mean, how has it evolved? You know, what does easy access mean now versus six years ago for law enforcement? Right. That, that's, a, that's an awesome question because if... I, if um, I had my druthers, everyone would just have it on their phone because mm. it costs us less money to produce and it's easier for us to update. The reality is ease of access really depends on, on who's, who you're talking to. So a seasoned, an officer who's used to looking at that code book knows the sections inside and out. And we can talk about what Utah just did this year about why that might be a little harder. He can look at that book or she can look at that book and pull up the index and say, hey, here, I go here, here. And they're there, you know, in less than, you know, five seconds. Whereas the newer generation of officers really relies on a mobile application. It's searchable. It's highly searchable. It's, you can bookmark it. You can copy and paste from the mobile app. So it's, it's the exact same information that's in the 2,000-page code book. It's just available on your phone. So over time, and that was really the, you know, by design, this, the, the business will eventually go digital. And maybe this is kind of interesting to, to me and maybe nobody else, but the reason people still use books a lot of times is because in court, you're not allowed to use your phone. Or if you use your phone in court, anything on that phone is admissible. And so you really don't want them looking at family photos or, you know, disparaging tweets or something that happened. That, that maybe you don't want the, that attorney to see. Yeah. Well, and on that note, if you see an officer on the side of the road on his or her phone, uh, I mean, they're not scrolling social media. They're like looking up code probably, right? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I had, I had a question on how many updates a year to the book where, where the app only version or something would be beneficial because you'd have to rep do you reprint multiple times per year? So we only print once a year, okay. and that's that's the other the reason for that is the legislative. Well, we'll talk about Utah. So in Utah, there's a single legislative cycle, so they they might have a special session, but in you know if everything happens normally, there's one session. The way it works is you you know you you have an idea, that idea turns into a bill, that bill goes to a committee. The committee then sponsors the bill that goes to the governor to either veto or sign into law. Mm -hmm. Once that's signed into law, that goes into the book. If it's criminal or, or traffic related, and it, most updates are not related to criminal and traffic law. There's, there's family law. There's business law. We don't worry about that uh, because law enforcement typically isn't required to enforce those laws. What, mm -hmm. they're, what they want to do is criminal and traffic law. Some states, however, like California have an open legislative cycle. So they're constantly in session. So they change the laws all the time. So there we do a manual, we do a electronic update quarterly there. Um, and then and there you have updates on your phone. Yep. Like an so alert. we can push, we can uh, push real time. Well, quarterly updates to your mm -hmm. phone or your, you know, other device online. Um, Texas, for example, legislates every other year. So only do it on odd mm -hmm. years. So this 2000, what are we? 23. They'll do it. There's a Texas legislative session going on right now. I mean, that's a lot of moving parts. I mean, you have all those jurisdictions that you're uh, producing product for, you know, the code books for. Uh, some states like Utah has one, one legislative session. That was good. It's a hard word for, <laughs> for a guy from Ogden. You get California where it's ongoing and others where maybe it's twice a year. Like who, who's the person that's keeping track of all this stuff? Is uh, the state required? to report back to publishers like you, or is it Blue 360 that's got to keep up with everything? That's on us. So the onus is on us to watch those cycles and figure out, hey, what's changing, what's going on? Each state has its, its own person who, who 
pushes those laws into the website and you know into the state website and, and publishes that. So this information isn't secret, and it's not all that difficult to find. Uh, it's publicly available because it's it's the laws of the state. It's the code. Uh, what makes what we do valuable and and why we are a business is one we have an editorial team so we have six attorney editors so these guys they all have JDs and they're working in the back room reading this stuff seeing what's changed and making sure that it's current so so the reason number one you'd want the code book from us is it's current and you know it's current. Second reason is there's value add within the book itself. So there's some plain English language around some laws. There's a whole section of what we call section of affected statutes. So what changed in, in this latest legislative cycle? So here in Utah, for example, this last one, there were over 1,300 changes to the law, which is a lot. And just in the criminal and the traffic side, you know, maybe 60 or 70. So, so if you're not aware of those and you are enforcing an old law, that, that's a problem. The other thing that is, that is a little more difficult to find is Fourth Amendment, so what we call pre- police procedure. So the Fourth Amendment is search and seizure, which is really the core of a law enforcement officer's job. Can I, pull, can I take what you have? Can I arrest you? Can I, search, you know, can I search your vehicle? Can I search your person? Like, how do you know to arrest somebody? That's Fourth Amendment. And so that's all in the front of the book. So, and Utah, every state is unique. So if you look at how the law works, you have a federal Fourth Amendment. But then under that, each state has a little modifications to those laws. Well, John, you're really like the curator of laws. I mean, not yes. unlike, you know, somebody that works at a museum and curates fine art. You're like <laughs> the curator of law. Yeah. I think that's probably s- somewhat accurate, although I'm not an attorney, so anything I say here, you cannot. <laughs> yeah, Don't take anything we say here as as... as as gospel, and I'm not a law enforcement officer either, but we do have a pretty robust team of, of edit, attorney editors that do this. Uh, we're in Utah, and we have a Utah audience, and you've mentioned Utah several times, and I'm assuming that you get a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes access and looks at you know, how the, our legislative session operates. Can you maybe give us some, you know, the inside scoop of you know, what that's really like when you're, when you're in it, when you're in the legislative mosh pit, so to speak? You're so this this is a little out of my wheelhouse. So you're overselling my my ability here. So um I will tell you it's <laughs> it's probably not as pretty as you think it is. So it, it's a lot of, you know, these people have a job to do. They have a constituency that they want to support and they, you know, some want to throw their weight around a little bit. And so one anecdotal um kind of example that I can share so this year, and I actually printed it out so that I wouldn't uh, stumble. Like I said, there were 1,300 changes, over 1,300 changes to the law. Do you want to guess what most of those were? And I don't know that you, anyone would ever even guess what, what in the world are they doing 1,300 changes? Like, what, what does that even mean? Putting commas to separate clauses. Yeah, so that's a great, that's a great yeah. example. So the wow, most... Mike, you- I use my talking? master's of criminal justice at some <laughs> yeah. point in my life, and this is it. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is crazy. So what they did, most of those changes were called recodification. So all they're doing— I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all that means time, is you're changing the location of the law. So it used to be—we can talk about alcohol laws in, in Utah because those are very interesting— which is, I think, 32B of the code. But uh, so the wildlife code this year can change completely. And what that means is all they did is they moved it from, you know, section A to section B. Same laws, just a different location within the state statute. And it's maybe a little bit like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. Why why do they move them? That's a good question. But part of it goes back to, hey, what happens behind the scenes? Mm. And it's like, well, I got to do something. (laughs) <laughs> it makes more sense if this if this is over here. I'm getting paid to represent. I gotta move something. Okay. Exactly. Well, that's the right. thing is they really don't get paid. I think they uh, get like an eight. I think a state legislature in Utah, depending on you know their leadership level, maybe might make eighteen thousand dollars in a whole year. I mean, it, it really is a uh, citizen uh, lawmaking representative process. They're volunteering their time, right? 
essentially. Okay. Yeah. But they're just moving. They're moving the chairs on the Titanic. I don't know. Well, that's bad because that means it's going down. (laughs) That that may have been a bad example, (laughs) but a lot of it is. It is. Hey, let's. You know, my committee's in charge of X. Let's bring over these into. Do they ever ask you, you know, being the curator of laws, like, hey, what makes the most sense? And I mean, do they think of these things like uh, in the code book, like hey, if we move things around, the book's going to flow better? I mean, do they ever ask your advice in that respect? You know, not not a single time. Uh, we, have, <laughs> we, have, we have very little contact with state legislators. We where you do get some lobbying is, is from law enforcement itself. So the large organizations actually lobby the state legislature and the, mm-hmm. and the house and the Senate to make sure that they're doing what's best for law enforcement. And then you also get competing interests on the other side. I was at a meeting in California several years ago. And if you remember the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, he was there giving a speech to law enforcement and not 10 seconds after he finished the California attorney general elbowed his way in and gave basically redacted everything that Jeff Sessions had said. Oh, So it's a very, very interesting process. And law enforcement sometimes is stuck a little bit behind, but they do try to get, you know, representatives um, to lobby. Uh, We mentioned Wade Carpenter, who's the chief of police here in Park City. He sits on the, the International Police Chiefs Committee. He's the vice president. So he lobbies Congress at the federal level quite often. Hmm. that's really to keep law enforcement safe, keep their jobs less difficult than they already are. Does it ever, it's got to feel sometimes though, John, that they're just messing with John, <laughs> just to mess with John. <laughs> like this is reshuffle everything just to. Oh, it's for sure. For sure. But that's I will funny. tell you to, you know, we, we secretly like it because that's how we can say, Hey, look, you need the new book because <laughs> look what changed. It's good for business. It's yeah. good for business. Uh, so, so the States where you have, you know, uh, medical marijuana or recreational marijuana, those, that changes everything. So here in Utah, this session, they moved all the medical marijuana laws. So they didn't change them. They just, they just moved them. Well, so how many formats of, of the book, of the Utah book are available? You know, like, so we have the, the tangible printed version there. Yep. And then uh, there's a database, I'm sure, that uh, law enforcement can access from a, a laptop computer. And like, what are the different formats? Yeah, so we really want you to access the information that the way that's easiest for you. So, yeah, we have the big eight pound book. We have the mobile app. So when you buy, anytime you buy our book, it automatically comes with access to the online version and the mobile app. So online, when I say online, like an ebook. Mm-hmm. So it's a fancy PDF. So when you can access it on your, on your computer, um, cops use terminals. So they have a computer in their car. Uh, we can actually upload our information directly to their terminal so they can access it in their vehicle. And that typically happens, all that's on an intranet with with the department so we sell a site license and you know they use that information however they want they can combine it with you know their their local ordinances their you know the the jurisdiction rules so so laws are weird right like a law is, is something that's that maybe is written down maybe isn't um but beneath laws you have statutes and a statute is written down it's you know typically punishable by jail time up to death, fines. Then you have ordinances. And ordinances are typically misdemeanors if you break them or, you know, fines. And, and, and within all this layer, you also have rules that are imposed by different jurisdictions. So it may be legal, and this, was, this, came, avail- this came about just a couple of years ago, it may be legal to, to use a chokehold. It's written into the state code that that is a legal maneuver for a police officer. However, certain departments may say, no way, you cannot use a chokehold when detaining a suspect. Hmm. And so that's, and so you could argue all day, hey, it's legal, but if it's against the rules, that's the buck stops. Yeah. I do want to get into some of the weird laws, but I just, the metaphor when, you, when I asked about the format, it sounds like the music industry where you buy the vinyl and you get a free download. It's yeah. just in this case, it's you buy the download and you get the free book. Kind of. Yeah. I think that's a fair, fair thing to say that 
we're agnostic how you use it. We just want you to use it. Like if, if you want the information, you know, printed out on a, you know, PDF and stapled, great. If yeah. you want it. Uh, no, I, I printed a directions to a, a Holly sniper uh, fuel injection system. It was about as thick as their book. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And that is a lot of PDF and a lot of pages. So probably the book is going to work just fine. Yeah, it works just fine. I think we see as the older generation kind of ages out of law enforcement, you see more adoption of, of the digital. Yeah. You know, digital really is, it's cleaner. It's, you know, if we make a mistake, which happens, we have to send out what's called an errata, which sometimes is a sticker that we mail you and you put it in your book. Say, hey, page, you know, 492 right here, you got to put a new sticker on there because, you know, we, we didn't put a comma in the right place. Uh, and literally that's what happens on, on your mobile app. It's instant and you'll never know. Wow. Well, we talked uh, several months back or maybe several weeks back about artificial intelligence. And I'm, I'm curious, John, uh, you know, how does that play into uh, your business, you know, artificial intelligence and chat GBT. And I think you uh, threw out a scenario where an officer can just, uh, you know, ask the book, you know, Hey, what is the law with uh, landing an airplane on the freeway? <laughs> Is that, is that like a realistic uh, uh, way to, you know, navigate the book, the code book? So, so yes and no. So it's absolutely realistic. It's just, where is that information coming from? And that, that's, that is the biggest issue we have right now with ChatGPT and with the internet in general. So if, if someone said from a business case, hey, who's your largest competitor? Our largest competitor is Google. It's the free. So you could go out and say, Hey, what, what's the window tint percentage in Utah? Well, they just changed it a couple of years ago. So you may get the new, Google may give you the new information, or you may get the one from 19, you know, 94. You don't know. So that's one issue. So with ChatGPT, especially the free version right now, it's accessing information that's old. So the information may be technically correct because, you know, as of, you know, a year or two ago, it's not currently correct. However, this is where it gets kind of cool. You can build, so we actually were working right now on a program that uses chat GPT, but it only accesses our information. So we can upload all, let's say we upload the Utah criminal and traffic code manual and we tell the algorithm like, hey, you're, you can't look anywhere else except right here. And so when we do that, it comes back with two things. It comes back with, typically a correct answer, but it also comes back with the source. So if you had to check your work, you could say, hey, where did you get that information? And it'll actually tell you. So it, that's definitely on the horizon. And if I, what's crazy is I think if you don't do that, someone else will. Yeah. It, it's such a, I mean, that program is so wild and it's, it's not that, I mean, I can use it, which tells you it's not <laughs> that high tech. What does that do to your business? Are you, uh, you know, recruiting, uh, you know, experts and and AI to, you know, incorporate that type of uh, capability into, you know, what you do here at Blue Three Sixty? Or so we we haven't hired. I mean, this is this is me. This is me calling, you know, some friends who have done it in their businesses. It's such a new technology that we haven't gone that far. What's really interesting to me about technology is. And this is kind of sad for people who went to school for for eight years, you know, to study law. You can go write without knowing anything. You can learn a computer program that will write you an injunction that's that's all has to be done is is checked by an attorney. Attorney doesn't have to write it. You don't have to pay someone five hundred dollars an hour. And so there's that, you know, for me to learn that technology is maybe a week versus going to law school for what was it, three years? Yeah. So it's a, it's a crazy. And so are we, am I worried about our business and, you know, something like chat GPT? Yes and no. Yes. In the sense that someone could come in and do it. But the reason I'm not that worried is you have to have the correct information and getting the information is the hard part. And it's still in some cases a manual process. Yeah. So the algorithm would have to look in the right place and you'd have to know that it's looking in the right place. Yeah, it's really back to being the curator of the laws. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so what is a, what is your business plan, John? What's the, the scalability of, uh, you know, Blue 360 Media? How are you going to, you know, grow it infinitely, which is, you know, the American business way, right? Yeah, take over the world. Um, so how do you do that? That that's so from a business perspective, that's that's where it gets really interesting is you, what's how big is the market? Mm-hmm. And well, the market, the law enforcement market is, you know, for state police is not very large, maybe, you know, 600,000, maybe 500,000. The, you know, police in general, maybe it's 900,000 officers across the country. Then you start getting into federal and the number goes up a little bit. And so, I mean, that's big enough. And so how much money, how much do you have to sell to each one of those? Like, what if you sold $20 to all 900,000? Well, that's a lot of money. It's not realistic, but that's, that's a lot of money. And so there's still room, believe it or not, to grow organically with code, with state statutes. However, the, the real exciting stuff comes with, you know, moving more to digital to lower your overhead, low, you know, increase your margins and then get into training. So law enforcement is like I was saying, there's a, there's a big population that's aging out. What do they want to do? They're, most of them are still young and fit and, and capable and they want to keep working. And so how, where's the opportunity? There's an opportunity with law enforcement training. And that's not, I'm not just talking about, you know, shooting and, and wrestling. There's management training, there's retention. Law enforcement has a really, they struggle with retaining officers. They struggle with, you know, getting people to sign up. It, it, it's a hard job. Are there still jurisdictions out there that are doing it the old Utah way where, you know, they, you know, they maybe partner with somebody like the Utah Safety Council and they're, you know, they're, they're doing everything out of a, a warehouse or a storage unit and just <laughs> trying to go door to door and sell them that way. They, you know, jurisdictions you'd love to get in and, and help. I don't know. Yeah. Like Hawaii. Like, I feel like we should do one in Hawaii. If you're, if you're not doing code books in Hawaii. <laughs> we are. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we're, we're fairly opportunistic when it comes to legal information. So mm-hmm. we're the official print provider of legal information in New Mexico. So we publish all their books. So it's a, it's a 14 volume set. So it's every law in New Mexico. That's, that's us. Hmm. And then you mentioned Hawaii. We publish the Hawaii Senate Journal. So everything mm-hmm. that happens in the Senate during a given year is, is, is written down. We, we publish that and print that. So there's opportunity like that everywhere. Uh, print, I'm not going to say is, is dying, but print is a very unique business and there aren't that many people who can do it and do it well. Yeah. And especially on the legal side. So legal publications, they have a lot of requirements. So believe it or not, finding a hard bound book on the legal side is extremely difficult to do. There are only two or three people in the country who will do that and costs are going up. And, and so, so I think when we, if we kind of take a step back and look at, you know, the legislative process, what is included in a lot of these processes is like, hey, we need to change the law around how we publish information. So New Mexico is the first state in the country to allow for digital to be the official law. So you most, in fact, every other state, you cannot go to court with a digital copy. You have to have a physical copy and you can't use a digital copy as the official form of the law. Colorado will be the next state to say, hey, we're, we're going digital. And that, that's a huge deal. Is there a worry that, uh, you know, hackers might go in and change the law and a judge might, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this law says you get off free. I mean, that's a it... movie. I could totally yeah, see yeah. that. <laughs> I thought the law was, oh, I guess it changed. Whoa, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never thought about that. I mean, yeah, I guess technically you could do that. Hmm. It's still, so there's a, there's a state reviser. It's an actual title and the reviser is in charge of actually codifying all this information and so i guarantee it lives on some sort of hard drive somewhere that <laughs> yeah that's that's where you hire nicholas cage to go in and steal <laughs> it like i don't that, that's a different process but anybody can buy the book you don't have to be a, a court official or a police officer like uh, michael stone can you know go down and he can he can buy the book yeah i'll tell you an interesting customers that we have are uh people in in prison. So a lot of inmates purchase our products 
they want to know like, Hey, yeah. I don't think my attorney did a good job or I, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think, I think there's some fit, something fishy going on. Yeah. So we get a few letters every week from inmates looking to buy. What do you charge an inmate at the Utah State Penitentiary for the Utah Criminal and Traffic Code book? <laughs> you know, we don't give them any deals, that's for sure. They don't get a pro, they don't get a pro deal. <laughs> they don't get a discount. They they don't, discount. If you're listening, you yeah. don't get a discount. Yeah, there's, there's no incarcerated discount. So code books typically range from, you know, 50 to $80. And it, they're priced based on size. So, you know, every page costs us an additional amount of money. And so the bigger the book, typically the more expensive it is. Yeah. Do you print um, one printer or multiple printers across multiple states or how do you? you We use actually printing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great, yeah. Another great question. So if you have ever been to Barnes and Noble, a lot of those, you know, you have random house, you have penguin. Um, A lot of that's printed in three or four places across the country. So the big books that we have, the big code books, uh, we use really just one printer out of, of Minneapolis. We also provide a lot of topical information that we didn't talk about. So a lot of just uh, general police information, you know, on, on management, advancement. We have a, you know, how to, be, how to, you know, correctly set up a sniper rifle and use a sniper rifle. So, so books like that. And there, there are a few publishers around the country. All that's printed on demand. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a big part of what we do is, is look and say, hey, you know, a lot of stuff we bid out uh, trying to get the best price. You have any customers who are like collectors? You know, is there somebody in Utah, just a private <laughs> citizen that just collects code books and that's hilarious. You know, there may be so that the chief of West Valley is one of our authors and he's been involved in the business since I started, you know, he's cool guy. And I, I believe he, if there is one, it's him <laughs> West Valley yeah, chief of police. He's got a basement. He's got 20 a 20 years. That's a lot book. of book space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what's interesting, again, since this is legal information, you have to keep it indefinitely. So not that the, you know, the police department needs to keep it, but state law libraries do. Mm. So when we go to New Mexico and talk about, hey, you know, can we do anything to help? You know, how's the relationship going? We'll go to the state law library and we'll say, hey, do you want to see what it looks like? And it's an entire room full, you know, dating back to the 1800s of every single statute volume. And so you can see where it goes from, you know, leather bound, hard bound books into what's called a lexitone cover. So kind of a plasticky cover. Some of their books now are paper. So this is the Utah book that you can't see because you're listening is a paper cover. Mm. Um, just a little less expensive, more recyclable. Yeah. But, yeah, but, so but it'll last a hundred years, 200, if it needs to. So that's, that's the concern that New Mexico has. And so they have a special cover. Mm-hmm. So they have what's called a Lexitone uh, book cover. It's stamped. so You can't print on it. And it is, it's, it's probably a plastic based, but it's, it, they're all in like temperature controlled, humidity controlled rooms. Yeah. Hmm. Wild. Well, you wouldn't know it, but we can't shut them up, but we have, we have Michael Stone over here. <laughs> Mike has a list of questions. Yeah, I don't think he's asked any Mike yet. lives in a world at Utah Safety Council, so I don't know how it happened, but somewhere in the code book, you know, Utah has this law. Uh, the state of Utah has a law known as the move over law, which requires drivers to change lanes or reduce their speed when approaching a stopped emergency vehicle with its lights activated. If you don't, you break that law, you have to come take a class from the Utah Safety Council. Mm. And it actually says somewhere in the code book, you got to take, you know, a four-hour live defensive driving class from the Utah Safety Council. Michael, tell us about that. What's that like? Um, so it definitely gets the most complaints out of all of my calls by far. Most people start off with saying, I didn't even know that was a law to begin with. And then it turns into, well, you know, just because you don't know it's a law doesn't mean that you didn't break a law and then it turns into that discussion. And then they say, well, it's a new law. I actually looked it up myself. And I said, well, it's actually been, you know, on the books for about 20 years now. (laughs) And it was revised two years ago. And now they're really just starting to enforce it. And that always turns into this kind of, I don't want to say argument of where this person then goes into the fact pattern of their case every single time of, you don't understand, man. I was in that right lane. They were on the right-hand side of the road and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get over. I couldn't slow down. Like, you know, brakes are inoperable, whatever it might be. And now I have to take this class. And then when I explained to them, yes, you do have to take, can't do the online. You have to do the live four-hour version of the class. So you have to physically go out to a location 
then it turns into another argument of like, well, is this a free course? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, why do I have to take this? I think the law is stupid. I don't agree with it and kind of explain it to me a little bit. So I like, I haven't, you know, invested hours and hours of research into it by any means, but I kind of try to take them down the path of like, well, it is directly related to officer safety. If they're on the side of the road and you're going by them at, you know, 80, 70 miles per hour, whatever it might be, you know, standard freeway speed of 77, that's pretty quick. Yeah. And if you were to hit them for whatever reason, you know, maybe you're looking at your cell phone as many people do when they're on the roads, you might hit them. You might not understand the little bit of input to the right could end up killing an officer. Yeah. I have three friends who were officers and all three of them have been hit uh, by car. Well, those no. are terrible mm-hmm. odds. Well, it's more common than you think. Yeah, it, yeah, it happens all the time. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't know, John, do you have any history on how that law came to be? Or, Well, it's certainly a common sense law. And just from my perspective, it's the thing when I'm driving that bothers me the most is watching people not get out of the way mm-hmm. because they're two, the two deadliest scenarios for police officers across the country are traffic stops and domestic disputes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad it's enforced. I think it should be a bigger fine. I mean, because that is the scariest place for a cop to pull someone over is on I-15 during rush hour when people are freaking out, trying to get home. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it happens here in Park City where it's, you know, Park City's perfect. And it's still, <laughs> you're driving down the 40 or driving down the 80 and it's some, you know, that every lane's open because, you know, no one lives here. And <laughs> someone refuses to get over. Yep, every time. So I don't, I don't have a history. I mean, something we could surely find out. I don't have a history, but it is one of the more common sense. Like, hey, these guys do a lot. Like, give them, give them some space. Slow down. It's an extra 20 seconds, man. I'm yeah. not going to kill you. One of my instructors has been hit three separate times yeah. while just parked in his car, thankfully in his car. But he is actually the second highest ticket rider of the approaching emergency vehicle <laughs> in Utah for that reason, because, you know, he's been hit many times. I don't want to name him here because then people might be like, oh, great. It's this guy that's going to give Watch me a ticket. Out for him, yeah. yeah. But. So how do they do that? So this was a question I always, cause I always mm-hmm. am like, oh, I hope that guy gets busted. But how do you, how do they actually get you? Um, so there's many different ways and I'm going to start with the most controversial. So, you know, people are going to get angry and then I'll kind of talk them down a little bit from there. They will often set up sting operations for that in a sense. Uh-huh. So they'll have one person just go to the side, flip on their lights, start doing paperwork and they'll have their buddy, you know, mile down the street and then they'll say, Hey, this person didn't pull over for whatever reason and go get them essentially. So you'll sometimes you'll actually see like highway patrolmen, especially when I was driving to Clearfield every day, they will leapfrog in a sense. Like one will be doing it. They'll pull someone over. Mm. Someone else will drive by without getting over. Then they'll get them. And then they kind of just can repeat this cycle indefinitely. Okay, good. And so they'll do stuff like that. Another thing they do is a lot of the time they'll be clearing a stop on the side. So, you know, the person will come out, they still have their lights on and people think, oh, the stop's cleared. Therefore I can pass. And they just go anyway. And so their lights are still on. So technically by law, they need to get over to the left lane or slow down and get as far over in their lane as possible. If they don't have the availability to do that, like in heavy traffic. And so a lot of people get caught that way. The third is, and this is the one where I'm going to kind of disparage on the officers. Sorry to say guys, they'll have a stop right in front of an exit of the freeway (laughs) (laughs) and people need to take their exits and so you know they're not gonna go to left lane and then swing past the gore area and almost hit the big but they should be slowing down i guess but they should still be slowing down and getting as far to the left of their lane as possible in that instance the most common thing i hear after the fact is well they're just trying to seek their quota and these are often highway patrol individuals and they don't get money from tickets the city in which they pull people over gets the money of the tickets. They get all their money from the legislator. So highway is not seeking any quotas. Yeah. The quota thing is really interesting because it's a, it's that's blown way out of proportion. Most places don't have quotas because mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't benefit anybody. So we'll talk about park city cause that's where we are. Park city has no quotas. Yeah. Um, they'll pull you over if you're breaking the law. That's pure and simple. 
one of my previous instructors actually works up here in Park City. He said you guys are much more about community policing versus Absolutely. any other type of policing that yep. is out there. And so they don't want to really give tickets no. or, you know, kind of berate people like you might see in other jurisdictions. They're more about just trying to build, you want to see an officer and look at them as, you know, that's the person who's going to support me and what I need to do and keep my environment safe. Yeah, I'll tell you a story about Park City because I know those guys. So they, yeah, they don't, they don't write a lot of uh, traffic violations here. And one of the reasons, like you said, is it's, it's a really community. They, they want to be members of the community. They want, they want to be trusted. They, you know, they want you to call on them when you, when you need them. But every time they pull you over, that your information is taken down. So after number about three or four, they will say, okay, this is the fourth time I pulled you over. <laughs> You're getting a ticket today, you know? <laughs> today, yeah, today. But I said because I always ask because you know I meet a lot of police officers. I'm like, okay, how how fast can I really go? What's the law? and they look at you and they're like, well, what does it say on the speed limit side? Yeah, you. <laughs> they're all great about. I've it. learned you don't get a straight answer <laughs> or a cheating answer. You just get the speed limit posted sign answer. But back to your point, mm-hmm. it's not just police officers you have to pull over for. It's anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's not just anybody. So well, like, anyone with the, any, you, you go ahead. I was about to say, so if you see me on the side of the road in my finest Fiat 500 from 2012, <laughs> you don't have to pull over for <laughs> right, me. Right, right, You're probably just going to laugh at me as I'm changing my tire. But the six vehicles you got to watch out for is going to be like your fire, your police, your tow, which a lot of people don't pull over for tow drivers or tow truck people, um, construction, emergency medical services, I said construction, right? Yep. Yeah. IMT. Emer- yep. IMT. Incident management. Yeah. So th- I want to interject here because if you do, Michael, uh, mm-hmm. on the drive back today, if if you get a flat tire or the Fiat finally craps out <laughs> and you're on the side of the road and everyone's zipping by going 90 miles an hour, that's an emergency situation. So mm-hmm. dial 911. And uh, get an IMT officer there, you know, U.IMT incident management team, and they will uh, hook up and tow you off the exit so you can safely change your tire. I, mm-hmm. That's a good reminder because I was surprised to hear that from the officers that came and did a podcast where they want you to call 911. Yeah. Yeah, if you're stranded on the side of the yeah. freeway when people are going, you know, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour, you're in a very precarious situation. That is an emergency situation. Like you don't want to be changing your tire off of I-15 ever. As a matter of fact, if you're exiting your vehicle, you're in fact breaking a law. <laughs> you're now a civilian on the freeway. You should not be exiting your vehicle. Oh, you should get a professional out there to okay. come and redirect traffic and help you out. John, what does a typical day look like for you? Business owner, printer, oh podcasting every day probably <laughs> well yeah well you yeah. wake up and you know how, how do you go about your routine so typically get up pretty early uh i ride my bike a lot mountain, so mountain road or gravel so i'm a mountain biker um i actually so <laughs> i i started i raced road bikes for many years and anymore when you're riding your road bike all you see are people looking at their phones in their cars and it scared me to death so i actually yeah. sold my road bike two years ago and i have not bought a new one but Park City is mountain bike mecca. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you can see, for those of you I've yeah, so many listening this at home, yeah, <laughs> just outside our office is a trail that goes up through Glenwild. And it's, it, I mean, just out the back of the office you could go. So I can actually go single track almost from my house to the office. Wow. So, wow. so a lot of times I ride my bike to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but typical work day, um, you know, I start out, you know, I deal with our authors so we have probably about 90 to 100 authors. So we have authored products, talking to them, seeing, you know, what we can do to, you know, increase sales, get any feedback that they have. I, I do a lot of our accounting. So I, you know, my, my title's chief, chief operating officer, although I, you know, I just didn't want to be the chief financial officer because I don't, I wanted to get out of the spreadsheet game, yeah. but I still do a lot of, a lot of our accounting and stuff. And then, you know, my, my role really is to, to kind of keep the business moving forward. So I don't have an expertise in, in legal publishing. I rely on our editorial team to do that. We have a marketing team. So I kind of oversee, you know, the day-to-day operations of what everyone's doing, you know, and then on an annual basis, like, hey, what, you know, 
the prices need to be increased, you know, what's, what's inflation, you know, the big business items, you know, how, how is inflation impacting the business and, and how does, how are we going to, you know, put that back onto the customer? Like it, how do we do that in a way that still takes into account, Hey, these guys are, are budget constrained, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so there's, there's a little bit of strategy involved, but it's, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, pretty boring you know, you think illegal, legal, legal publishing, never like, Hey, what's, you know, could there be anything more boring than, than, you know, picking up a legal book? Like maybe, you know, looking at my emails is probably up. <laughs> well, if you really dive into the book, it's pretty entertaining. And I say that because I use Chad GPT and I asked it, like, give me some laws in the Utah criminal and traffic code book that are a little silly. And, uh, like the one that jumped out at me, uh, right off and so i'm going to digress a little bit brian you remember that show we did on mr goodger's neighborhood like 100 years ago with uh brian joseph smith who started only in ogden yes do you know how only in ogden started he was in ogden like central ogden i think just driving from one end of the town to the other yeah and i think he came upon like a Dotson, you know like an old Dotson, uh uh which is uh it's, it's just a hatchback right and he says there was a cow in the back of the Dotson, he's like, only in Ogden. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I do the chat GBT thing with the book, and lo and behold, you cannot transport livestock in the trunk of your car. In a Dotson. In a Dotson. Yeah. It's illegal, Ogden. You can't do that. What about bison? I've seen people try in Yellowstone to, or even maybe Antelope Island, <laughs> put a baby bison in their car. <laughs> to get it back to mom? To get it back to mom. Ah. Uh, and then that never ends well for people or the bison <laughs> i would not advise maybe that's why it's a law it, yes tell us about these laws john does it feel like sometime like uh uh you know the little ai it it popped out several laws that are kind of crazy like did you know it's illegal to drive a vehicle with ice picks attached to the wheels is that <laughs> is that like a problem here <laughs> these are my favorite because you have to make because there was there was a problem at some point yes well that, yeah. that's exact so they they're solving it's usually after the fact. So if, if it's a lot, it means someone probably tried it once. So, so, <laughs> you know, so, so the, the weird Utah laws you have, you know, you, you, you can't ride a bicycle with, you know, no hands. Like you have to have one hand on your handlebar at all times. You know, innkeepers can charge up to $500 to families of kids because they're worried kids are going to damage the property. Some of the other ones are like you, you have two days to bury a domestic animal after it dies guaranteed all these strange laws are and i'll tell you my well one of my favorite utah laws is it's illegal for first cousins to marry unless they are over the age of 65 and or can prove that they are no longer capable of reproducing so you have a good looking cousin you know i i could see a maybe a facebook page uh, a website or something where because what my question would be, how does the public stay up on all the laws? You know, yeah. I mean, there's the police officers who right. you service, but how does the public even know these things? Because they're just trying to get their cow from one place to another. So if there was a, I mean, it, it is sort of a humorous thing, but if there was a website portion of your business or, or some sort of social media that just put these laws out as a, did you know, you know, this is a, this is illegal or this is a thing that that would, that would be interesting for the general public. For sure. And so, like I said, th- this is all public information. So yeah. I mean, you can, you can go, you, I mean, you can actually go watch them do make these laws and then you can go to the state of Utah website. They're just terrible at marketing. No one goes to the state of Utah website to look at that. So no. if there was a curator, you know, that's what I'm thinking to, that would do the work for them to get it into the <laughs> public's view. Do, do we go, know a curator? To go to, we know, we know to go <laughs> yeah, to TikTok and that, that's where people would see, would actually finally actually see the laws oh yeah no i mean it's it's hard to sell legal information to the general public like because who cares man like i'm going to go do what i want to do why why do i need to know that you know uh, about you know crazy blue laws in utah like what you know why can't you you know sell a car on sunday in utah and you know stuff like that so i that's a good question. Like maybe that is the next uh, step for the I'm business. I'm just throwing like, it out there. Yeah. Hey, how do we? I did see a it was a social media influencer who's done pretty well with himself, and and his comment was that the future for like at least his 
uh, what he, what they do are curators, specific curators, mm. because it takes so much time, and it's uh, it's what sort of like you said, it's what chat chap 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 GPT chat GPT does chat. Yeah. does, but it's still if you don't put the parameters in right and all this thing, and so if you can if you are good at curating whatever that is, then you have a future. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think if you can make it, so we want to make it accessible, consumable, and interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that. That is an interesting business idea, though. Like if you just published a book of all the the crazy laws in, in Utah, each state, or across there's the got to be stuff like that yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, a story like I, I want to know why birds have the right of way on all highways in Utah. Well, what the story concern. is behind that. If you hit a bird on the freeway, it could, you know, go on your windshield and crack your windshield, cause an accident. <laughs> Some of these are directly related to like safety concerns, like how laws are formulated would go like but What does why? that mean exactly? Like, I don't know, do the birds know this? <laughs> <laughs> the seagulls definitely know this. Yeah. <laughs> They'll fly right in your way, but basically like how I imagine this law came to pass is somebody was driving their car, a bird flew in the way, they slammed on their brakes to not hit it. Someone rear-ended them, and then they're like, well, I stopped for the bird. And they said, well, why'd you stop for the bird? And then they're like, well, I didn't want to kill the animal. And then they had to kind of come up with a way as to why this was justified. So they're like, okay, well, birds now have the right of way. So if this incident happens again, we can rely on this. So you can can swerve and kill a human to avoid a bird. Well, pedestrians probably have a higher... You know, <laughs> in another in a car, yeah, cause yeah. an accident. Yeah, you could think it's good. Pedestrians weird. always have the right away too. Yeah, and I think to be on a little more cynical is if if you're a chicken farmer and you are have a pretty strong lobbying presence, yeah. you're gonna save your birds. You're gonna say, no, we got we got chickens have the right away, right, guys, mm-hmm. right. That's what like, I that's what I imagine is like yeah. you know a bunch of birds just in crosswalk somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you better be stopping. And catastrophe. There's so many catastrophe laws in in the book, like. You can't cause a catastrophe in a drag race, on a bicycle, why skiing? Like, was there a year here in Utah where just catastrophe after catastrophe? That's a hard word to say, too. Catastrophe. catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been related to, you know, some of those Deer Valley collisions that they had with celebrities not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, Goop Gal is fine. That's right. She got off. Oh, she got off. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think one of the main things when you're looking at these weird laws, though, is like how many are enforced? Like, for example, we have at least two cyclists on the podcast here. Do you guys have horns or bells on your bicycles? I have a bell and people hate it. I actually do it. have a bell for mountain biking, yes. Yeah. Okay. Did you Ogden know hikers that hate the bell. You they, can't ring it when you're on a trail. That's a law. Oh, really? Oh, you're not just, supposed what? to. If you're <laughs> on a mountain Trail, you cannot, you cannot ring, ring your bell a, or oh horn. My gosh. I just use it to announce myself, but I have learned that hikers in Ogden hate the bell. I just slow down, get off my bike. I'm just, it scares them. It scares them, and you know they feel like uh, I'm trying your to. Buds out? I'm, it's like I'm honking Forcing at them. It's trail. like the mountain bike honk. You know, like hey, get out of the way. I'm coming through. Interesting. I use mine all the time. Yeah, legally, not supposed not to do supposed that. Not supposed to. Okay, look at that. Huh? Breaking the law. Breaking the law. Breaking the Probably law. daily. <laughs> a daily, exactly. But you don't have an officer sitting on the side of the exactly. trail waiting. Do they have mountain bike officers up here on the trails? So this that's a really cool City? question. So again, we're going to talk about Park City because I love it here. So no, but yes. Hmm. So there are, two, there are two groups in Park City. So you have law enforcement. You have, so you have two zip codes in Park City. You have 84060, which is downtown. And then you have Summit County, which is 84098, that's, that's uh, overseen or governed by the sheriff. Mm-hmm. So Summit County Sheriff. So Park City Police is just Park City. Mm-hmm. But then you have the fire department. And the fire department gets all the cool toys. And so fire department just got electric motorcycles to access mm. injured people on trails. So you yeah. can, so you, for those who can't see, I have an Apple Watch. If I crash and hit this hard enough, it'll send out an emergency signal that is picked up by dispatch and dispatch will be able to take my location and send the park city fire department to find me. That is wild. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so that's since we have so many trails up here and it's even summit County, you know, with the Uintas, just a huge area that you have to cover. They have a lot of fun toys. Yeah. So side by sides. Yeah. yeah. Motorcycles, 
all the all the um firemen up here are paramedics so mm. they they can keep you alive I didn't know that about the Apple watches. I'm told by uh, several mountain bikers that uh, like the Deer Valley downhill courses here, like some of the most technical, gnarly downhill in Utah. Is that, have you done that? Are you like a full suspension enduro guy or? Ridden those trails. That's not my cup of tea, but it's, you know, they're fun. So you, they, they were built by Gravity Logic. Uh, They built Whistler. So they're really, really well built, cool cool trails yeah so if we're gonna switch gears to mountain biking yeah this is gonna be fun because <laughs> deer valley has done a great job uh with their trail system and if you get injured at deer valley yeah they'll pull you off the mountain and then the park city fire department's waiting for you in the parking lot so very cool very cool well we're an hour into it that yeah. is kind of like the time machine here it just uh, goes by so quick michael Stone, what am i forgetting to ask uh, john a blue 360 media and john what, am, what what did we forget to ask you that you'd like the the public to know about uh, you know what you do and you know how you how you support law enforcement and how you support uh you know the the public in utah in general and all over the country actually yeah, I, I think, you know, our mission really is, and you mentioned it earlier, is to inform the people who keep our communities safe. We want to make sure law enforcement has what they need to do their jobs well. All the officers I work with are amazing. They have all, it, it's a difficult job. And the fact that they do it and, and do it at the level that they do it is, is, is amazing. So, you know, support your local law enforcement you know, you, the stories you hear on the news, they're, they're mostly one-offs. Um, what you don't see is, is the day-to-day of these guys. And so, you know, support law enforcement, you know, you want to support our business, uh, encourage, you know, your state legislators to require up-to-date legal information, just like a body camera. Yeah. You got to have the right information. I just realized I was going to ask you, you know, you speak Spanish, any of this, uh, you publish in the Spanish language at all or? We do. So um, we publish the Criminal Code of Puerto Rico, okay. and it's in Spanish. Yeah. And then we do, so Spanish is a fairly common language in the United States, and so uh, every single one of our books has common phrases in Spanish. So when you open up the back of the book, you can say, hey, stop, hands up, <laughs> drop that gun. You know, what's your name? And then we do, uh, on our mobile app, we have a, a spoken Miranda Rights it's um, actually my voice, yeah, speaking the Miranda uh, rights in Spanish. So. Well, Michael gets a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, uh, customers that call him, and uh, we spent $1,500 for a Spanish-speaking course for Michael at Weber State. So if you would uh, indulge me, John, <laughs> would you ask it. Michael uh, any question in Spanish and see if he can answer it? This is your test. Otherwise, you're paying that money back, man. I'm just going to answer right now. The answer is no. I, <laughs> I, I have a five-month-old now, so it's literally like one of those things where prior to going, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. And then I had a kid, and then it was like, okay, yeah, no, it's kind of off the table. I, I'm learning enough about being a father, and Spanish went to the wayside. Let, let's, we'll make it real easy. ¿Cómo se llama tu hijo? No. Okay. <laughs> so, that's, Brett, that's right. That's right. All right. <laughs> See, we nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Well, what are your? Uh, you know, I'm gonna turn over to my. I'm gonna let him close this out because I always seem to mess it up. But yeah, close it out, Michael Stone, or we can let John close it out in Spanish. That'd be kind of cool. Actually. Yeah, let's let John close it out because I was about to say I'm gonna definitely mess it up because I don't have any experience closing it out, nor do I know what to say. So, take it away, Johnny. Bueno, thoughts? fue un placer conocerles. Muchas gracias. Nos veremos en un año. I'm just anyway, gonna leave it at that. Leave yeah, it at that. that was awesome. Also, you sound like you should be announcing RSL games. <laughs> yeah, we sh- that's a great idea. You should. Goal. <laughs> <laughs>